pray. Our Father, great grace and mercy, we um, receive from you. And great grace and mercy that we even expect as we open your word. And help us not to presume on it. Help us to cherish it as you give it. As a gift every morning. To cherish it. And therefore rejoice in you. And uh, give with that same spirit. Lord, we have been wayward. We have fallen (coughs) short this week. We have sinned. And so that grace and mercy that you bestow, that you're rich in, we ask humbly that you would give it to us again. You'd cleanse us from unrighteousness. (coughs) That you would make us new. You would bless us in the way that we should go after you. And Lord, we bring you thanks that you would go with us in that way. And so we open your word today to hear more about and receive more instruction in following you. Help us rejoice in the blessed hope that is ours in Jesus. Help us rejoice as we worship and we read and we listen. Help us to eat well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't think we're ever going to leave chapter 4. We might stay here for quite a while till we make it to summertime. But anyways, we're going to be in verses 13 through 14 today. <coughs> you know, what I was thinking about uh, these verses to preach before you here today. I was I was struck by one one theme and, and one word that's not necessarily in these verses, but it's communicated through these verses. And it and surprisingly enough, it made me think of Paul Harvey. And a lot of you just perked up when I said that you remember Paul Harvey. I only know Paul Harvey because my dad had him on in the truck most of the time. And I you know, I remember, and, and maybe you knew when he would tell the rest of the story who he was talking about <coughs> or what he was talking about. I never knew at that point in time. And, and maybe you didn't either, but, but that was the whole goal, right? He would, he would walk through and describe this person or this event, and he would use some of the things from their history that maybe you had never heard or picked up on. And, and it wasn't until the end that he... He gave you uh, the name. You know, it was it was awesome. And it, and it rem- this reminded me of Paul Harvey because we, we have all these descriptors and we have <coughs> all these um, stories and we have all of these words that are telling us of somebody and what we're trying to do is make sure that we know who that somebody is, that we know the rest of the story. 
Uh, we get to the end, and we're not surprised. We, we start hearing him describe who or what, we describe the hope that we have, and we completely understand where this is going. And the whole goal of the Bible, basically, is to uh, remind us or describe to us the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. And these two verses here is, is Paul making sure that they know, that they know <clears throat> what is to come and why it is. That they're not left guessing. As was so much of the ancient world and their pagan religions, they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know the rest of the story. They couldn't fill it in. They, they never got to understand when their gods were going to be angry or happy and how their life was going to finish in regards to their emotions. And so they're in a constant state of flux, <coughs> pardon me, trying to guess how this is going to work out. And the beautiful thing about our faith is we don't have to guess. And in fact, Paul uses this opportunity for these Thessalonians, Thessalonians uh, to make sure that they know what is to come. What is their hope? <laughs> and I focus in on that word, knowing, because it's the opposite of being uninformed, which is what Paul does not want them to be. And so it calls us to focus on the goal of knowing. The goal of knowing. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. There is a constant theme throughout the New Testament especially, of knowing. Knowing in the sense of not gaining intellectual knowledge, but knowing in the sense of being intimately understanding of a concept or a person. If you look up that word in Greek, most of the time it's in the form genosko or gnosko. I don't speak Greek, so I don't know how you pronounce that, but uh, it, it, it means to be acquainted with and understanding intimately a subject or a person. And throughout the scriptures, it is calling us to be intimately uh, understanding and knowing of Jesus. And then in him, what is ours yet to come? In him, what he is going to bring about. In him, what he's going to accomplish. In him, what he's going to do. In him, what we can Hope in. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 23, this is a great example of what Paul is desiring for all the people of Christ in their gaining of knowledge. When I say knowledge, and hopefully from now on whenever you hear me, or when I talk about gaining knowledge, I'm not talking about being able to recite back to me what is on a certain page in a certain book? God bless you. <clears throat> but being able 
to be intimately acquainted with somebody, in particular, your living hope, which is Jesus. So Paul says this in Ephesians 1, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. <coughs> How's, he gonna pray? How's he praying for them? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in what? The knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection uh, under his feet and gave him his head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You pick up there Paul's same desire that he's communicating here in verses 13 and 14 of 1 Thessalonians that he wants people to know, to know. There is a, a reason why we press in so heavenly, heavily in heavenly on our Bible study, on our resources, in our library, on our talking and discussing books that become friends and helping us know and understand and be informed about the Bible, which is describing to us our living hope in Jesus, there's a goal that we're striving for, both personally to get there and corporately together as a body, as a church. We're, we're wanting to grow in this knowledge so that our hope grows, so that we can't be put to shame or easily pushed off the path because we know exactly what is to come. God has been gracious in this way. John, in much of his writings, he tells us what his goal is. His goal is, in writing these things, he says in verse 31 of chapter 20 of his gospel, that he, he wants us to know so that we may be saved. First John, this is a huge theme, and First John points this out time and time again. First John Chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, you know, Alistair Begg, who's a transplant from Scotland back in the early 80s, has been preaching in Ohio for decades, uh, been a big part of, of my growth. He was uh, visiting, speaking somewhere one day, and he went off kind of on this tangent about what he had witnessed as he had... Uh, sat in worship visiting a church during some of his travels. 
and some of you may have heard him talk about this, but he witnessed um, countdown on the screen, and then the lights go dim, and the worship band takes their place, and then the music starts to rise, right? And then the worship leader, Andy, you need to pay attention to this. The worship leader, he gets up and he says, how are you feeling? How are you all feeling today? And on the surface, none of us think too much about that. It's said a lot. But it sure bothered this Scottish pastor. Because his whole point was, it's not about how we feel. It's about what we know. What do we know to be true? You show up here Sunday after Sunday, and you might not feel like being here. You may not feel like hearing things from God's word. You may not feel like singing. You may not feel like sitting through an explanation of this ancient book when you've got these problems going on at home or when you've got these problems in relationships or when you've just lost somebody or when you're irritated that you've got to go back to work tomorrow to a job that you hate. You don't feel very good things. But you can overcome that and replace that with what you know. That you become what Romans 8 calls more than a conqueror through the things that Jesus has said, done, and promised yet to do. So that's why it's so important that we know these things. That's why the main emphasis on my time with you is on examining these things and applying these things and becoming informed of these things so that surely when you and I deal with the things of life that are not pleasant and the things that leave us feeling all sorts of different kinds of emotions that we feel like we have to sort out uh, before we can get to a better place, we can remember the things that we know and be comforted, be encouraged, be corrected, be directed. One of the beautiful ways to do that is to carry the things you know with you, right? You can do that through Bible memory. You can do that through a phone. You can do that through the radio in your car. God has made it so available for us to carry, to know to be equipped with these things, and therefore we have a responsibility so that these things that are used to comfort us and encourage us, as Paul's going to ask them to do at the end of this chapter, we can take those things and, and disperse them to others so that they can gain comfort, so that they can gain hope, so that they can gain encouragement. Being informed and knowing is perhaps the, or is, let's just say that, the biggest part of your discipleship, you're becoming like Christ. Think about when Jesus says, nobody knows the Father but me. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And whoever I chose to reveal him to. Jesus is the only one that knows, in the sense that we want to use that word, that knows God. And if we want to know God, then we have to know Jesus, namely because Jesus is God. 
He's the perfect revelation of his glory. He's the manifestation of his grace and mercy. He is the uh, living embodiment of his word. He is God. And so if we know Jesus, then we know. If we don't know Jesus, then really we don't know anything. We don't surely know anything that would bring us any hope. And he's not wanting them to be uninformed because when you're uninformed, especially about the things of God and the things of the gospel, it will probably cause you to fall into sin, even inadvertently, to still sin. So, remember back a couple verses last week, uh, he's, he's encouraging the Thessalonians, uh, you need to be busy. You need to be working, you need to not be dependent on anyone. And the thought is that because it's so often, the language is so often used with the <coughs> apostles and disciples that these are the last days, and truly, they were right in using those words. We're right in using those words. We don't know how long those last days last, but this is the last days until Jesus comes back. And so as people heard that, <coughs> they thought, well, then he's coming back soon, so what's the point? I'm just going to wait for him. Like, you know, I'll, I'll just wait and make sure that I catch it when it comes by. And so literally they would stop working and they'd just wait. They'd sell it all and they would somewhat retire and they would wait. And that is totally wrong because they were uninformed. Here, in these verses, they're uninformed about the resurrection. And that becomes the most important thing that we have to know in order to have hope. If you don't know about the resurrection, then literally you have no hope. We, don't want you to be, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. Why? That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. <coughs> Paul is picking up on something very important. Something that especially the Jews around should know. That when it's spoken of, of the death of saints... The word asleep is used. The word asleep is used because we are, as God's people, <coughs> informed about what happens when our bodies die. David, <coughs> pardon me, David understands that is in a state of sleeping because God is a God of the living. He understands that he will see his son again alive <coughs> because there will be resurrection. <coughs> Daniel 12.2 talks about those that are asleep will come again. Even in Job, possibly the oldest piece of literature 
in our scriptures. Job knows that he will die and then he will see God in the flesh. That sounds like maybe he missed the first part of that sentence. No. Job knows that there is a living reality yet to come despite the death of his flesh. Because of the hope of the resurrection, because of the knowledge of the resurrection in Jesus Christ, it is good, it is good to meditate on what it means to be asleep in Christ. I've said this to a lot of you, and I truly mean it. Not to knock a wedding, because that's a joyous celebration. <clears throat> but truly, as a minister, um, I, I find great opportunity, more so than doing a wedding, in doing a funeral. It is such <coughs> a momentous occasion to discuss the knowledge of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes in chapter 7, he tells us it's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of celebration because the living will lay it to heart. They'll begin to ponder these things. They'll begin to want to know (coughs) what it means to be asleep instead of dead. They're ready to hear. And so I love preaching funerals because we can inform of what is to come. And the whole goal, right, is that that we live and exist in a way that is different than the world, which will leave them, hopefully, wanting to know about the hope that's within us. And Peter says, to be ready with an answer. You're going to be ready with an answer by knowing the answer. It's not a burden. It's a, it's a daily discipleship exercise. Knowing Jesus. What he said. What he promised. How to follow him. His ways. Okay? Then we can inform people. So... Imagine that we are gathered at the funeral of one of our deceased brothers or sisters. And they had many friends throughout the community and beyond. And everybody comes to remember this individual. And they pick up on the fact that there is grieving, sure, but, but there is an expectation or a hope that sits on top of that grieving that does not leave us just completely <clears throat> wasted, distraught, and, and down in a hole, but it keeps us in a, in a place <clears throat> to, to move forward. It keeps us up in a place, like I said, of expectation. It, it, it makes us speak of something that is yet to come, that's something that's on the other side of, of that awful 
reality of death. And so we sing those things when we come to those occasions. And we speak about those things when we come to those occasions. And we encourage each other about those things when we come to those occasions. And I've often heard it preached at the funeral of the saints that have passed that the, the only word that's used is asleep. Not dead. There's no death in Christ. That happened on the cross. But they're asleep. That's the way that we should talk about it if we know what the resurrection is. Not only knowing what the resurrection is, but knowing what the resurrection is is having hope in the resurrection. Paul goes through this logical <coughs> exercise in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, right? And he says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because the absolute <coughs> reality for all people is that they will die. So, if, if that's the end, and there's nothing else, and we're still hoping in a Christ who hasn't been raised, then we're insane. It's ludicrous. It's meaningless. What is, what is there to gain? without hope. And he says, look, if Christ hasn't been raised, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Man, what a bummer. Right? So though it all hinges on the fact that Jesus was raised. And our knowing that is not simply being able to understand what Easter is. Our knowing that is actually realizing how that affects me as a sinner bought with the blood of Christ and vindicated in the fact that he was raised three days later in the body as the first fruits of those who have what? Fallen asleep. So if he lives, then what he did on the cross that was for me shows itself to be true. And then if that's true, and the resurrection's true, then what left is there to do but to hope? But to hope in the same exact thing. If he paid the penalty, and if he won the victory, and if he put that on display so that people would, what, know, then what do we have left to do? Hope in the things that have been passed down to us from the saints who have seen them with their very eyes and had the word more fully confirmed, Peter tells us. They're giving these things to us and we hope in them because we know them. Knowing would also be akin to believing, having faith in. It's not a blind hope. It's not a blind faith. It has an actual literal, historical object that entered time and space and at a moment in that time and at a place in that space did something that meant something for us in this time and in this place. 
And knowing that, the result is hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. One of the awesome parts about getting to know your Bible is that when you read something like that, that through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You know where he has said that, promised that, and even displayed that before. So you're not getting new information. You're getting reminded of information that you should know. And the Spirit's work, right, is to bring to mind all that who has said, Jesus. Why? Because if we know what he said and know what he's promised, hope. Hope. Hope overcomes all that. All the, all the trial, all the struggle. Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Okay, I can read that. I can understand logically how that makes sense. But the question is, does that knowledge translate into belief on what that knowledge means? There's a knowledge you can have of God that does not save you. There's a knowledge you can have about his word that does not save you. But if the knowledge gains teeth by your desire, your repentance, his grace, his mercy, then not only will you know those things, but you'll know them intimately like God knows you. And so we know that if Jesus died for us and if he was raised from the dead and if that same spirit that raised him from the dead was given to us to give us life, then what is God going to do with our mortal bodies? He's going to raise him. Verse 32 of Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? <laughs> you having knowledge of the gospel, and you having knowledge of Jesus, and you having knowledge of the promises that are to come, means everything regarding how you live how you grieve, how you rejoice, how you give, how you forgive, how you worship. Everything you know about God informs everything about your life. That goes for everybody in the universe, by the way. What they know about God, translated into what they think or believe about God, 
has everything to do with how they live. It's called a worldview. And everybody has one. And I pray that your worldview gained from your intimate knowledge of Jesus, translated, highlighted, and invested in by your belief and faith, would carry you on through life in a hope that displays uh, the glory of God and the promises in Jesus to a world that is hurting and has no hope. We can easily be disappointed in this time and in this place on what is going on in the world. But does what you know about Jesus give you hope, not only for now, but forever? So I would put that to you in these closing moments here to ask the Lord if the things you know about him if you believe them, and if you don't, then by his grace, if he would help you in your unbelief, and then we'll stand and sing.